Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, coming at you from the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It is I, Martha, and my dear friends, Ashley, and also our surprise third co host. Hello, hello, it's Kendra. Woohoo! It is such a treat to have Kendra on today. Um, you, as you know, on the podcast, sometimes we'll be interviewing mamas about their experience. Sometimes we're interviewing experts about all things NICU. But today we decided it would be good to do a round table about breastfeeding, pumping, uh, tubey feeding, all the different ways that our little NICU babes in and out of the NICU get fed. Uh, and this is so close to so many the hearts of NICU mamas because feeding is often the one thing that we can do to help support and, and guide them through the NICU and after. And it's, it's such a roller coaster journey. So we knew it would be important for our audience to hear. So, (laughs) well, yeah. And last week was breastfeeding awareness week on social media. And I feel like throughout that week, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but there was, I, I was encouraged by, um, the validation for pumping moms, the, the validation for moms who chose not to orally breastfeed at all. They just chose to go straight to formula. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful to see that narrative shifting a little bit of yes, truly fed is best. Um, but we also know that breastfeeding can be kind of triggering the whole experience. And it comes with a layer of grief for NICU families as oftentimes the introduction to breastfeeding wasn't what they always thought it would be. Well, friends, let's maybe just start off by, let's each just go around and share what did you think breastfeeding was and what did you think the breastfeeding experience would be like prior to having your own babies? Okay, well, I can start. This is Kendra. Um, So I grew up not really knowing or having talked much. Um, I feel like everyone around me kind of just bottle fed, um, their babies that I was around. And then I had two very close friends who went, um, into mamahood before me and they both breastfed and, um, they talked about the challenges of not necessarily producing enough, or at least one of them did. So I knew that that could be, um, something that we would run into and that it'd be hard on their mental health. So they transitioned into formula, um, but overall still absolutely loved the breastfeeding experience. And then my other friend did it past um, a year old for her daughter. My own mom talked about um, just bottle feeding us because she wasn't worried that she was making enough and wanted to make sure. And Hey, I think I turned out okay. So I I was very open to both. Um, but I knew that in my heart, I was like, yes, I'm going to breastfeed like that. I know like in my head that that was what was best for my child and just like had that mentality. Um, and so that's, that's what I went into motherhood like and, um, expecting that. And yeah, that was just my thoughts on it. Now I have much different thoughts on breast, well, feeding your child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. My older sister was, uh, she had two kiddos this around the same time that we were trying and she breastfed them. My 
eldest niece, she breastfed to like 13, 14 months. And, um, you know, there were so many benefits that I think she saw with it, you know, the bonding with your baby, um, having that special time at night where it was just the two of you. And once she came into a rhythm with it, I think it was so useful for her. I know she's, uh, she also talked about pumping on top of that too, because she worked full time. So mm-hmm. when she went back to work, um, she would have to go back and forth between breastfeeding and pumping and bottle feeding. But I think, you know, having seen that and my mom had five kids and she breastfed all of us. So I just, I assumed that I would just be able to do it. And, you know, there might be some issues with latching or figuring out the beginning, but I would just figure it out and it would happen. I just, Mm -hmm. I didn't even think that, um, I'd go about a different way. Mm -hmm. It didn't occur to me. Yeah. Also, it sounded cheaper. So yeah. <laughs> that was another thing too, because, you know, we were a poor young married couple. So I was like, okay, if we can avoid this, you know, expenditure, <laughs> then I can just do that, you know? Right. For sure. It's interesting, Kendra, what you said about your mom choosing formula, because I feel like it's really fascinating that like our parents' generation and even our grandparents' generation were kind of sold that formula was the best option because they were able to like add all these nutrients and kind of build this concoction that was super great. And so I felt like back then, like formula was like preferred almost like a lot of moms chose to do formula. And so I feel like it's interesting that kind of our generation and like the eco-friendly, holistic, natural health boom, I feel like we've kind of come back to breastfeeding is best feeding. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, unfortunately, I feel like because we are in such a movement for that, I feel like it gets turned into a shame game. Mm-hmm. And in reality, there's so much more to it. And it's mm-hmm. so much more complex than I think so many people are aware of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and my experience or my knowledge of breastfeeding prior to having my son was, honestly, I didn't hear a lot of like... I knew that I wanted to breastfeed just because that just seemed easier. Like I was like, oh, I won't have to clean bottles then. And I'll just be, I'm a moving food bag. Like this is great. Um, But I heard a lot about like the chafed nipples and you're going to need nursing pads and all these different things. I didn't hear like a lot of the, the bonding things and and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, But it's really interesting because I, So about a week before Silas was born, I started leaking like kind of a lot and I would wake up from a nap and I would have colostrum on my shirt. Like my shirt would be stuck to my nipples and I'd have two big milk spots. And at the time I Googled on what to expect and I was like, is leaking early normal? And I got a lot of responses that were like, yep, totally normal. Um, now I know that it's not super normal <laughs> to leak that much prior to actually having your baby, but um, I kind of just, I was super excited about it. I was like, oh my gosh, my milk is, my milk is here. Like I can't wait to breastfeed. Little did I know that it was kind of a sign of I'm going to have my son really soon, but um, I was really looking forward to breastfeeding and I was excited about, you know, getting to have that bonding time with my son. And obviously it looked a lot different, but I, I was excited about it. Yeah. 
Wow, that is crazy, Ashley. I feel like that's something that I've never heard of your story. Yeah, I have pictures of me at Christmas with two big milk spots on my shirt, and I was so pumped. I was like, Brian, take a picture of my leaky boobs. Now I know that that wasn't normal, but at the time I was like, my milk is here. That's crazy. I had no idea, but now that you mention it, I I leaked with both of my kids too, which- Really? Yeah. How many weeks were you when you leaked? Oh God, who remembers? No, I don't. It all blurs together. I don't recall. It was just on and off weird spotting and it would just be like one boob. So I'd wake up one morning and I'd have, Zach was like, were you eating pizza in bed or something? And I was like, I was like, yes, I was, but this is not related to that. (laughs) I love it. Well, maybe let's each share just a little bit about what your introduction slash reality to breastfeeding was with your kiddos? Yeah. Um, so I'll go first because I had the full term birth, um, that ended in the NICU stay and, you know, so Callan was born and we had absolutely no idea anything that would come after his birth. Um, so for us, it was that supposed to be that typical moment of placing your babe on your chest. And then, um, not long after you try to get them to latch and whatnot. And Callan never really, um, was able to latch. Mm. And, you know, we just thought, you know, maybe he's a little tired from birth or, you know, not ready. Um, but they really pushed like getting that latch right away, um, and checking in on that. And, and, you know, he would, it almost was like he would latch a little bit and then you would see a little bit of milk on his mouth. And then, um, from there he was just like kind of falling into sleep or just kind of was not interested. And so I just, I didn't really, you know, I don't know. I was a little worried, like, I'm never going to get this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to figure this out. Um, and I had already kind of had some of those concerns that I voiced to my best friends <laughs> and that had those, um, breastfeeding journeys. And I was like, you guys, and they're like, we'll, we'll talk you through it. It just comes, you'll figure it out. Um, and so that's what I thought would happen. And I just didn't try to stress about it because I just gave birth to him. But, um, a few hours after he was born, he was taken away and was in the NICU and, because I was stuck in my room on magnesium, I couldn't go down there to try breastfeeding him, um, to the NICU. So they were like, mom needs to pump. They kept telling my husband, mom needs to pump, mom needs to pump. Mm -hmm. Um, and the breast pump just never came. And I wasn't really like adamant about asking for it. I was in the whirlwind of my son getting taken away and whisked to the NICU. Then I was like, this is the last thing that is on my mind Mm -hmm. of trying to figure out how to work a breast pump that I had never even planned in my head to use. Mm -hmm. And, um, so eventually the NICU had asked Tyler, um, is mom okay with using donor milk? And that little did I know would become a huge part of our, of my journey. Um, and I was like, absolutely. If that's an option for him, I knew that donor milk was an option for premature babies. The little did I know about premature babies, but I didn't really know if they would offer that to a full-term kiddo like Callan that ended up in the NICU. Mm-hmm. But, um, I was like, absolutely like, yes, please. Um, and so they did. And they're like, now, you know, we'll, allow him to use 
that until your milk comes in. But if you choose not to, then we kind of choose not to do donor milk is what I kind of got from the gist of it. Um, and eventually the pump was brought up to me and um, I, I started pumping. And then when I was able to go down um, to the NICU finally, later on, um, we tried breastfeeding again and it was kind of the same scenario. It just seemed like too much work for Callan mm. and he just couldn't quite latch. Um, so for us, there, there was not many attempts to breastfeed at all. Um, and then later on in our NICU journey, we got to try again once he moved down to low flow. Um, but because of Callan's journey, that did not happen frequently and eventually we had other things that I think we'll touch on Mm -hmm. um later um with Callan's journey and my breastfeeding breast pumping journey um that we (laughs) did instead of breastfeeding but we definitely only tried a few times and just he couldn't latch and stay awake or have energy I felt a lot of the same way, Kendra. I see there's, when you're in the NICU, there's this huge balance of all of a sudden, all of your, your kind of your wants and your wishes go out the window and you're like, well, what's best for the baby in this moment, right? So you're just trying to figure out what, what is the right, the next right thing to do. And I think it's so day by day. And like you said, Callan was, he was getting too, he was too sleepy and you know, it just, it, there are certain things that every baby is different and every day is different. So you just, you take it day by day. So it, it sounds like that's what you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had to choose too after he was even struggling with his bottle, which, um, you know, was definitely should have been an indicator that there was something more going on, um, for him, but they were, they're patient and hopeful and we didn't have anything on our radar, but, um, we made the decision to put in an NG tube. So a nasogastric tube, which a lot of NICU moms are familiar with, but a tube going through his nose to his tummy and feeding my breast milk plus, plus donor, um, milk as mine came in to him that way while trying to help work him through the bottle stuff. Um, We also use, I don't know if you two are familiar with this system or ever tried this, but the SNS system for breastfeeding. No, what Um, what is that? Yeah. So it's like this little tube that they kind of like tape to your chest and it's connected to your milk above your shoulder area for like gravity helping. And then they kind of, um, tape it inside I believe of the nipple shield and um they or it has like its own nipple or whatever and so it's the act of breastfeeding but it's helping them not need to suck as hard Mm. um and so it helps with just that bonding aspect the learning aspect for them um but, but once again it just Callan had a lot of stuff going on that made that not possible for us to use, but it's, it was another cool system. We've kind of fed Callan literally every way that you could possibly think of, which we'll probably touch on with that. Yeah, we will. Yeah, for sure. For us, you know, we've had two different NICU kids, um, and in two different hospitals. So it was really interesting to see kind of the culture difference there between them two. I think every hospital has different protocol that they follow. So I think the, the, the medical teams are really, really in tune with that. And so they felt really different. Um, our son was born first. He was born in 2015 at 25 weeks. And unfortunately he only lived for a few days, but 
I mean, I, I had him in emergency C-section and he was taken away and my husband was with him and I, I didn't know it, but I was, um, septic and had a terrible infection and a critical care team surrounded my bed. And it was pretty wild because I was in that space and obviously none of it, you know, I was all just dealing with the fact that I delivered the baby and I didn't know what was happening, but you know, I think breastfeeding was really tied into that because I had imagined what delivery would be like. I had imagined what the first time of breastfeeding would look like. So that's a, I think a really real experience for a lot of NICU moms because they're either born premature and it's, it's just not an option at all, or maybe they're full term and you maybe try a little bit, but then they're rushed away. Mm -hmm. And it's like every part of it is shattered for you. So I, um, yeah, I mean, I remember being in the post-op area and the critical care team was around me and they put me, I don't know why they did this. I think I talked about it on my episode, but I was right next to a family who had just delivered the same day. Literally, you know, there was a big empty post-op area and, you know, with tons of beds and they were in the bed right next to me and I could hear them breastfeeding mm. for the first time, like a lactation consultant working through it and oh my gosh, she's latching. What about, you know, and in the meantime, I'm, I'm going in and out of consciousness and I was like, what's happening? It was just, I, I to, so to me, it's like, I, I feel for a lot of moms, angel moms and moms who maybe imagined breastfeeding to be a part of their journey. It was just a huge element of grief for, for me as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, uh, was, it's all very tied up into the trauma of the event for me too. Um, so, you know, I, I, one thing that's interesting after you have an angel baby and luckily I had a nurse who had gone through the same thing, but you go from them, you know, if you're in for a couple of days, they want you to produce and pump, 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 pump like crazy. So as soon as I was removed from recovery to like a, a, a post, you know, postpartum wing, they started pumping immediately, like within the first 10 minutes. And remember I was still super sick. Right. So that's that part of it too, that I think is so interesting. It's like, we have to get baby to milk to the baby at any cost even maybe at the cost of the mother's mental health, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the fact that I, and of course I wanted to do everything for him, but no one was saying maybe Martha's body's not up to this mm -hmm. right now. You know, I was fighting right. a, a massive E. coli infection and I didn't mm -hmm. know it. You know, I was very close to death, but at the same time, in the same breath, the hospital was having me pump. So I think it's just, you know, I'm not a medical provider, so I don't really know the ins and out of it, but I think that's just something to think about, mm -hmm. you know, how do you advocate for yourself in this moment? And, um, how do you ask your loved ones to do it when you might not have the energy to do it as mm -hmm. well? You know, I'm going to encourage providers to really check in because there were moments where it was still, and someone could say to me, you can say no. Mm -hmm. You can say no to this right now. Um, but after he, our son passed away, it immediately shifted. And then I went from taking hot showers and, you know, be, you know, constantly um, expressing, doing hand expression and trying to like massage my boobs, right. To all of a sudden they had to bind my mm. chest. So I, my mom was in California at the time and she went to the store and got the smallest, tightest sports bra possible. So they bound my chest. And I wore a sports bra 24 seven. It hurt so bad um, because I was 
full. I was engorged, but I couldn't, they didn't want any expression because the more you milk, the more you nurse, the more you express, the more your body produces the hormones that cause you to produce milk. So I had, I had to take cold showers. I, if I took hot showers, I had to like shower, but like just at my back because Mm. I probably took a a month or so for me to stop fully leaking or producing anything. So, I mean, I think that's part of it too, right? Like if you're an angel mama to have that insane thing happen in your life where you lose a child and then to be dealing with the fact that my body still thinks I have a baby here is, is really, is really challenging on your, Mm. on your mental health. Um, and of course, nobody in the hospital would know what happened, would, would, could have imagined, right? Because some 25 weekers, actually most 25 weekers do really great. So it's, it was just, it was a really strange situation. So that was my introduction into breastfeeding and pumping. Um, but so I knew that with my daughter, I knew that anything was up, like anything could happen. And uh, when we got pregnant, I just assumed she would come early and spoiler alert, she did. Um, and so I, I was just ready to do whatever she needed to do. Um, and luckily because not luckily, I guess, but because I had had a preemie already, um, they just prep you in a really different way and you can emotionally prepare, prepare in a different way. So I knew, yep, I'll do donor milk if, if it needs to happen. Yep. I'm going to start pumping immediately. There was going to be a much less likely chance that I would get like a, such a severe as an infection. Cause they'd be watching me differently. Um, so that wasn't going to be a, a thing anymore. So I was just like, we're going to do it. We're going to do this. We're going to get as far as we can. I'm going to start pumping immediately. And I was super vocal when we, when I was admitted to the hospital at 27 weeks when my water broke and I just said, that's what I want to do. They, a couple times they'd come in and ask, you know, the neonatology team comes in and just consult with you to ask questions like that. And so I just said, yep, I'll do donor milk. Yep. I want to pump if I can. And I just started going and they brought me like that industrial, industrial hospital grade pump right after she was born. And I got to work. And I remember thinking it was so funny because at first, you know, the, the things that come out are like little droplets. So literally they gave me, I think this is kind of interesting too, right? Because we're like, any milk is worth it. So they gave me a, a plastic spoon. And so I was hand expressing drops of milk into a plastic spoon that they would then put into a little vial and bring up to JJ in the, in the NICU, you know, and it was totally worth it. And I think we'll get into this in a little bit for that moment for me, mm-hmm. um, but that evolved. That definitely changed over time because my mental health changed over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll definitely get into that too. But you know, that was, those are my very weird and different introductions into breastfeeding. <laughs> mm. yeah. Yes. So sorry for jumping. No, <laughs> your stories are so valuable. And I'm like crying, thinking about you with a sports bra, taking cold showers. I just, that sounds so, so traumatic on top of the trauma of of losing JP. I'm so sorry that that was your first introduction. (laughs) Well, thanks for saying that. I think it's, it's one of those weird things that I also think that first time moms who have a traumatic pregnancy or delivery don't realize is that is how far from the norm you are and whatever norm is right. But how, how, um, unrelatable it will be when you start talking to the majority of your friends and the people in your life. And that is another layer of, oh my gosh. So you weren't, they didn't have paddles next to you just in case you 
started having going into cardiac arrest. Like, you know, it's just, there's all these different elements of it that no one understands, you know, like there's, uh, there's probably very few of your friends, right. Ash that have, um, been in an airplane pregnant, right. (laughs) Um, flying, you know, and being life lighted somewhere. It's just, um, it's another layer of grief Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. But I mean, how was it with Silas too? I mean, your you had gone from a really drastic and intense delivery to the the idea of pumping, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I got transferred to the, so I was air flighted from our local hospital to a hospital in the cities because he was potentially going to need a heart surgery. I had a placental abruption, so it was emergency C-section. I was put completely under, and I woke up however many hours after surgery. And I remember the first thing I asked was, how Silas? They said, he's doing, he's doing well. And then it was, do you want to breastfeed? <laughs> and so I hadn't even you know, seen Silas yet. I was also on magnesium too. So I was super out of it, but I remember just saying like, yes, I want to breastfeed. And I've been learning about the Enneagram. I know I'm late to the party, but I think I'm definitely a three, which is the achiever. And so for me, I was like, I'm going to be the best breastfeeding mom known to man. (laughs) And so I just went into like the mode of like, I'm doing this and I'm going a hundred percent. I downloaded a pumping app that could help me track my mills and ounces. And I just went to town, but my first introduction was again with the hospital pump in my room. Um, it was the whole like find your flange size. And I had, I feel like I'd never looked at my boobs as much as I did that first day. It's <laughs> like, ah, I had three people holding my boobs for me. I really struggled to express. I really struggled to like figure out how to do that. And so I always had to have the nurse help me because I just, for some reason, couldn't figure that out. And so she'd come and check my blood pressure and then I'd be like, can you help me express? And so I think I had like 10 people touch my boobs by the first hour because I just needed help. Um, yes. but we also had the spoon. Um, I remember that being really painful. Like when they'd scrape it against your nipple, oh, God. To get the colostrum. Yes. I was like, okay, can we use a different utensil, please? This is very painful. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Other utensil, like a fork would not be like, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you guys, I never had that spoon experience. So I'm just like, my mouth is like, huh? Really? It was like the tiniest little vials that would hook up to my, like the regular pump and flange. Sure. Um, They were really tiny, like maybe like 30 mil because the other ones are like 80 mils. Mm. Maybe it was just 30, Um, but never a spoon. Never a spoon. (laughs) Lucky you. No. (laughs) (laughs) seriously that that nipple scraping sounds awful it was it was unique yeah it was a unique experience um yeah so it was kind of like I I I started breastfeeding and Ryan was like a huge huge help for me because he was the one that washed my pump parts I almost get emotional thinking about it because I couldn't have done it without him he was the one that washed my pump parts set them on the paper towel to air dry he understood my pump parts better than I did I think just because he was the one helping me with them but I do remember the first time I went down to see him or I guess maybe it wasn't the first time but it was like the second or third time and they looked at me and they said he took seven mils of your breast milk today And I remember thinking that was like the most amazing thing ever because I know how hard it is to work for that seven mils, you know. And so because he was a preemie, we didn't try anything orally. Um, We 
just worked on the NG tube and I pumped and fed him that way. The I will say that the hospital that in Kendra, we had the same hospital, <laughs> but um, the lactation consultants, I felt like were the perfect mix of gentle and and also like, if you want to do this, we're going to help you do it. Um, at other, other lactation consultants I worked with were super interested in your output. And I felt like at this hospital, they were super interested in um, just like the well-being of, of my health, which I really appreciated. So I felt like I had a couple different lactation consultant experiences, but my introduction to a lactation consultant was very, very helpful. And because I was going to be transferred back to my local hospital, they were super kind to like help me figure out like how to get a hospital grade pump at home. Because as we all know, the pumps at the hospital do not compare to the ones you get at Target. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they were like, we want you to get a hospital grade pump. Like we're going to help you advocate for that. So I really appreciated because I wanted to breastfeed. Now, if I didn't want to breastfeed, I would have been like, screw you. But because I did want to breastfeed, I really appreciated that they were going to do whatever they could to make sure that I was set up for success. So I I really appreciated that. I think you bring up a really interesting thing, Ashley, which is, you know, the idea of loss of control and that nothing, you can do nothing really to support a lot of your children, your child's health and support. You can be there for cares. You can help take temperature and stuff. But this idea, especially for people who are, you know, self-described achievers or type A, being able to see progress in your output and being able to control that, I think um, can can be a real blessing and in some ways a curse for a lot yeah. of moms. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's our way of finding stability in a complete chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what it was for me is like I felt like I couldn't do much, but what I did feel like I could do is my milk. And again, I think it was because I had started leaking a week before, but I didn't have my milk was there the first time I, you know, it was right there. I didn't have to and I produced really quickly. And so for me it became kind of this this not game, but like, it was just how I checked off a box of like, I'm not doing much, but every two hours I can pump. And that feels like I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, yeah, like you said, the loss of control was tough, but having control over just that part was very important to me at the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel the same way um, with that. And I actually, it's like looking back, I realized um, after hearing a lot of preemie mamas share about their not connecting with their little ones right away. Um, I, I realized that I think through Christie's episode, actually, maybe it was, um, how I had the same experience, but it's so completely different where I actually use pumping as almost this avoidance and this escape and as well as like something I could do because I felt like I was so thrown all over the place every time we would go to a, um, the rounds and we'd go to that room and the first couple weeks, Tyler was the one that was going to those because I would be like, Oh, I have to go pump or I would happen to be pumping already. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about rounds, it just, it moves so quickly mm-hmm. that if you're not ready, they're moving on without you. Um, rightfully so they have so many babies to care for. Um, 
And I would be okay with not being there because we were getting new information every day about Mm -hmm. Callan um, and his condition and just learning so many new, very hard things about him Mm -hmm. that it was almost a safe place for me to go in that little pumping room where it was just quiet and I could turn on music and I could do something solely for Callan. And um, like you, Ashley, my milk did come in right away and it was... It was thankfully um, a great supply and it just, it felt so, it felt so great to have that and have the affirmation from the nurses and the lactation Mm -hmm. consultants um, in a time that there was not a lot of good things happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was almost like a safe, a safe place for me and a safe thing for me to be doing in those really, really hard days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a beautiful way to put it. And, and, in kind of a a unique way, it's almost like self-care, you know, because yeah. you're kind of forced totally. to, yeah, like you said, find that quiet place, journal, reflect on the day. Like it, it is like a built-in routine, which sometimes is just really, really helpful to have. <laughs> yeah. Now I know it's, it's so interesting too, because I, and so everyone, every mama's experience is so different, but Kendra, you bring up a really interesting point, which is, I think when you move to the NICU, you get set on a schedule, but sometimes it is really difficult to figure out how can I hold the baby, be present for cares, go to rounds, go home and take a shower and get all my pumping in, in a day. And I remember that being really stressful. And I know a lot of moms in our group have posted about it, especially if they don't live close. Yeah. It's like, how, if I have an hour and a half coming to the hospital, how am I supposed to pump and, you know, and then disinfect and sterilize everything? It's just like, it, it is another burden. And I think, um, like you say, structure and scheduling can be really powerful and, and, um, protective and insulating for, for moms. Um, but it is a new, it's a really big shift because you're going from being pregnant and maybe going to a job, maybe doing this. And then you've had a big medical trauma and all all of a sudden your life isn't about engaging with the outside world. Mm -hmm. It's about doing these like four things in repetition all day long. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember too, like the, the, well, cause when you start, they're wanting you to pump like eight to 10 times a day and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I remember like when we transferred back home and we kind of got back into our normal rhythm of like going to the grocery store or, you know, getting a coffee, you know, whatever it would be. I just remember this internal clock always being present of like, when was my last pump? When do I need to pump next? And that took a while to just like kind of mute sometimes. Cause it was so loud in the back of my head of like, I have approximately 30 minutes in this grocery store and then I got to go pump, you know, like that internal clock was super loud <laughs> and that schedule like really controlled my days, which is kind of a reason later on why I decided to stop. But I remember that being kind of an adjustment of like, no longer was, you know, your body, your own, you, you were now, your body was telling you when it needed to, to be pumped. And that was, that was a big adjustment. And it definitely wasn't by your choice. Almost that, right. like you literally get engorged. Yes. You're like, yep, yep. <laughs> like it is time. Yeah, for sure. I know we kind of um, we kind of chatted a little bit right away, but you know, because all of our experiences were so different than maybe what we had seen our friends walk through or journey through. Um, how did your guys's like loved ones respond to your breastfeeding journeys? Did you have to? I mean, what was that like for you guys? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of giggling because um, <laughs> my uh, super supportive. Um, my family was super supportive and very encouraging. But um, because of my great supply, it was like often the joke of like <laughs> the cow and like whatever. And um, I remember, which it's like, it's like a little special memory now. <laughs> Um, because Tyler's dad actually passed away unexpectedly from a tumor. But anyways, side note. Um, and I remember one of his comments saying, cause I quickly like lost a lot of weight and I think it had to do with the stress yeah. and, um, the excessive pumping and the oversupply that I did have. And I think a lot of the weight that I gained towards the end was pre- eclampsia like just that water that fluid overload um and so I would just like all of a sudden it was like everything just like shrunk off I remember one night that we were staying at the hospital I woke up in just a sweat I think when I was getting up to pump and I was like what is going on and then the next morning I was like whoa like there's my face again there's my feet like I see an ankle again um but Tyler's dad was like you know, growing up on a farm, the skinniest cows always produce the best milk. (laughs) And it was just like super funny. Everyone laughed that it came from Tyler's dad saying that. And so it was just like super um, funny and supportive comments always that just like, they never were hurtful. And it was just, it was, I think it was so needed. Um, You know, and both of my close friends that breastfed, they were super, um, just like passionate and excited for me, Mm. um, that I was having a great supply and they voiced their hurt that I couldn't, or that like breastfeeding wasn't really an option. And I think just having that being voiced Mm -hmm. really like encouraged me too, Mm -hmm. um, because it was just, it was so validating that like, because I couldn't do that, um, I was still doing, you know, the best that I could be doing for Callan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they both had the perspective of like, Kendra, if you can't continue pumping, like that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Like that's the best option for you guys. And so I, I mean, my, my journey was very supported and valued from, and my mom, oh my gosh, I remember my mom, anytime we would do something, she'd always be like, okay, do you need a pump? Like she would try to like, <laughs> so that that I could do that when I needed to yeah um and that was that was great that's so good I'm so glad that you had such a strong support system in that that's so good yeah how about you Ashley yeah I would say that like my like my close like friends and family were also super supportive um the jokes like kind of like you can do the jokes almost made it better you know like Cause it was just like a surreal situation. So I would always say like, cause I had a stronger output in my right. So I'd say my Bessie's doing better today. So that was the joke of like, how's Bessie doing today? So I feel like I also had, um, real, a lot of great support. I think the, you know, and this wasn't from close friends. This would just be from people that maybe I wasn't closer to, or, you know, that heard I was in the NICU and pumping, but the comments of, but do you want, like, but do you eventually want to really breastfeed? Like kind of dismissing the validity of pumping was probably the most hurtful is the side comments from people that saw me pumping at a wedding or, you know, um, or they'd say, well, how are you feeding your baby if you're not home with your baby? And I'm like, well, I pump and then I give him the milk later. And they were just like, 
oh, but isn't that kind of inconvenient? And I was like, yeah, it is, but it's working. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, being in the Nikki isn't really convenient in itself. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like I got a good mix. I got the mix of those that were like, wow, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. And that was my, you know, the, the what kept me going. The unfortunate comments were the ones that kind of saw pumping as second best and, oh, well, I hope you can actually breastfeed. And it's like, now I know, and I understand a lot more that breastfeeding is, or pumping is breastfeeding. It's not either, or it's, and it's both. And so, but those comments at the time did kind of make you question like, well, am I doing enough then? Like, should I, should I be trying to, you know, he couldn't even physically at the time, but like when he can, should I really push for that? And so I think I got a mix of, I got a mix of both. Yeah. I think, and you bring up such a great point, which is there's, well, first of all, it, there's this big shift that happens. So you're pregnant and then you have the baby and all of a sudden your body becomes like utilitarian in nature <laughs> and not like your actual body. So people feel the right to be able to say, oh, well, it's not like it's your body anymore. So <laughs> I'm just going to ask you this really invasive personal question. Like, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, um, a part of our society that I don't think is my favorite thing mm -hmm. because it also pits women against each other in this really mm -hmm. weird way when we, do, we absolutely do not need that. Um, there are so many factors that go into the choice of how we feed our babies. And I think, um, a lot of it too, I realize a lot of it is from this pers perspective of privilege, right? Like there are cultural, socioeconomic, financial reasons why you may or may not uh, choose to do things. Not like, uh, let's put aside all of like the actual legitimate medical reasons why some of our babies can and cannot feed in certain ways too, you know? Mm -hmm. So it really has made me think about that too. And um, just like everything with the, the Nick, NICU moms, it's about approaching other women, especially moms and NICU moms with an, an overabundance of compassion. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so it, I think, um, that's what we're here for, right. Is we're trying to help curve the conversations in ways so that people who are outliers of the, the community, people who bump into you at the wedding and ask those things will think twice about how they approach you and support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do want to give a shout out to our local WIC um, program because when I was transferred to Fargo, um, we had a medical supply store that you could rent equipment from medical equipment from. And so I rented a breast pump, but it was $65 a month to rent it. But for me, yeah. And, and then the first pump didn't work right. And so I got mastitis cause it wasn't suctioning correctly. <laughs> so then I was able to get a different one, but I was paying $65 a month to rent this breast pump. And when we got approved for Medicaid and because of his low birth weight, and we got on WIC, I remember meeting with a gal and she's like, are you exclusively pumping because he's a preemie? And I said, yes. And she said, because you're on WIC, WIC will actually um, pay or will let you use a pump at no cost. I could have like kissed her because I was like, oh my gosh, really? Like, you're going to let me do that? And she's like, we want you to have a successful feeding journey if that's what you want. And so it was such a blessing to get that. But I just want to say that they were really incredible because they sent me a card and it, it was a happy breastfeeding awareness card. And I was still pumping at this time. And they mm -hmm. said, we're so proud of you for pumping and feeding your baby. Happy breastfeeding awareness week. And oh, I honestly oh think, gosh. I know emotional. <laughs> I cried when I got the letter. I still have it. <laughs> and it was the first time that I felt like I was a breastfeeding mom. 
because Mm -hmm. I felt acknowledged by somebody in my community. They didn't say like, you know, oh, woe is you. It was like, you are a breastfeeding mom. We are so proud of you for breastfeeding. And I was like, I am a breastfeeding mom. Like I'm not the alien anymore, (laughs) you know? And Mm -hmm. so I just want to give a shout out to our local WIC community here because they were just phenomenal and they really helped me feel a part of the breastfeeding mama community. So I'm so grateful for that. And then, I mean, having heard all that, I mean, you, I would definitely recommend wherever you are to contact a a social worker or the county health department and see what you can find out because Mm -hmm. there are resources out there. And, um, I I just think they're sometimes hard to find. Like you stumbled upon that, which is a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had no idea. $5 a month is four Netflix subscriptions. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Especially if it doesn't even work. Right. Oh, that brings up an issue. We should talk about your mastitis. Oh, Lord, you talk to us about what that was like. You guys, I hope anytime, like I see a mom have mastitis, like if they'll post about it online, I'm like crying with them because it just is so awful. But I had mastitis three times throughout my pumping journey. Um, because I had an oversupply, I had a lot of milk and I easily got clogged ducts and it was just a part of our journey from the get-go. I remember even before transferring to Fargo, um, I had gotten a clogged duct in the hospital there and they were having to help me massage it out. Cause I obviously had never known what that was. I was like, what is this hard thing? And they're like, Oh crap, you need to get that out. <laughs> so then I had another two people massaging my boob for me, helping me get out my first clogged duct. And that was like day two. So I was prone to clogged ducts from the start, but I remember the first time I got it, you guys, it was so traumatic because it was cold and flu season. And there was a lot of commotion of like, if you have a fever, you can't come to the NICU. You could transmit something to your baby. And Silas was so vulnerable at this point. And so all of a sudden I get a fever, I get chills and I had held him the day before this. And so my anxiety went to the worst place and Um, and so because I had a fever, I called the nurse and I said, Hey, here's the deal. I have a fever. I'm not feeling well. I need to go to the doctor. And her response was obviously she was concerned about Silas. So she was like, Oh my gosh, did you hold him yesterday? And I was like, yes, I did. And I was just terrified that I got, would get him sick because I had this fever (laughs) and all you hear about every day is cold and flu season and being careful. And so my mom and I went to the walk-in clinic. I was sweating because my fever was so bad and I, my anxiety Mm -hmm. was nuts. I get to the doctor and I forgot my breast pump. And so I had to pump. And so I said, I need to pump. I need to do something. And the, the nurses, they need to learn some bedside manners. So it was at the clinic, not the NICU, but they said, you didn't bring your pump. And I was like, no, I didn't bring my pump because my pump's at the hospital with my baby. Do you have any other questions? So they got me a urine test sample cup and they said, here, express into this urine test sample cup. I was like, you're kidding me. So I tried to express milk into a urine sample test cup. I had no compassion from those nurses. They were so awful. Then the doctor who was, it's fine that he was a male, but he just doesn't understand female anatomy. He came in and he, you know, put two and two together, but he just wasn't, he didn't have any empathy behind it. You know, he was like, well, looks like you have mastitis. See this red mark on your boob. That's what it is. 
and just kind of like slapped a diagnosis on me. Um, but I was grateful that it wasn't the flu because I had to get the swab to make sure that it wasn't. And thank God it came back negative, but it was so crazy because I thought for sure I had gotten my son sick and it was going to be my fault. So they put me on antibiotics. It was extremely painful. And because of, you know, mastitis affects your supply. So my supply went down significantly. And that was really, really, really hard for me because I was proud of my output. The lactation nurses like were so proud of me. I was proud of me. I was like, this is it. And then it went down to like nothing. And that was so, so hard. So not only did I have this like crazy fever, body chills, painful breasts, but then my supply like went away. So then I had to kind of build it back up. And again, when you're building, you're pumping more, you're making more milk clog books happen. <laughs> so I started taking sunflower lecithin, which really helped keep things flowing and keep things good. And that was like a game changer for me. But then I did end up getting it two more times, both times I got the fever and chills, it had to be on antibiotics. So that was, and we'll get to this, but that was the reason I quit. I just, the anxiety of potentially getting mastitis was crippling. <laughs> And when you got it, did it prevent you from going to see him too? Yes. Because you get so sick. That's so hard. It was awful. I remember I would call for updates and Ryan would still go to the NICU, which made me feel better. And then they'd put the little webcam on Ryan and Silas so I could still see them together. But that crushed me being away from him, even for a day. And I would call the neonatologist because they would give me the daily update. And I just was weeping on the phone. And she's like, Ashley, it's okay if you need to take the day to heal and to take care of your body, but it was just excruciating to be away from him and to be sick or quote sick with mastitis during, during everything. But yeah, it's another layer of it too. And I think people, there's so much tied to the NICU experience. So I think we talk a lot about what triggers look like now. And of course it's hand washing, right. And, um, scrubbing in and screening people. Like there's so much of that echoed right now too, but there's this element of pumping with it too. Like the idea that, okay, if you get sick, you know, the feeling of maybe having a fever is going to be, bring out a a trauma response for you now, you know, there's all these things, you know, for me, it's like, we have, I always, I got a bunch of white washcloths when I, I started pumping with JJ because I, I get clogged up, but I haven't ever gotten mastitis. So God bless you. <laughs> but I, I, um, I would have them and I would just soak a hot washcloth and then, you know, throw them in and bleach them, you know, the wash and then, and get them out and use them again. But now we use them for JJ's baths. And like every night when I give her a bath, I think about it, right? It's just like, there's so many parts of our lives that are tied into it in such strange way. And even like doing the dishes, I haven't done the dish. Well, I've done the dishes a couple of times, but Zach does the dishes because I can't do it. I did all of the bottle parts for months and months and I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. It made me nauseous. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's parts of it too, that it's, I think it's okay. Like if parts of it still ache and you heard about it, it's, it's hard and we see you and, and it's okay. You did everything that you could for your baby. And we are proud of you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, now Kendra, I know you, you talked about all the different iterations of feeding, um, with Callan, because you talk about how it was decided that he moved to D2. Yeah. So, um, we thought that, um, his main issue in the NICU, what we 
what we thought right away was low blood sugars because um, he needed more food continuously. So when he was transferred over to the U, he was, well, even prior to that, when he was already at the hospital that he was born at, he was getting fed pretty much continuously. And then they would try to take you know, like a half hour break and they would test his blood sugars and they would be too low. They'd have to feed him again and again. Um, and we would try to space it out, but they would be too low. And so eventually he was just continuous feeds through the um, G tube. And, you know, the bigger he would get, the more that he would pull at that. And that's traumatic trying to put that back in. Um, and then, so, um, you know, a few weeks in, we're like, okay, this is what's holding us up here. You know, once, once he gets speeding stuff down, he can go home. At the same time, his airway problems were getting worse. Um, so we weren't able to try breastfeeding. So we knew that something needed to be done. And at about a month old, he was scheduled for um, a G-tube surgery. So a surgery to put a tube straight into his stomach and we would feed him through a pump, my breast milk straight to his little tummy. And the nurses were so great. You guys, they would still do oral cares and dip a little sponge in my breast milk so that he would still be able to taste my breast milk. Um, instead of just like water or sweeties or something. Um, and that was, that was really comforting to me knowing that he could at least get little tastes here and there. Um, but yes, yeah, so we decided on a G-tube and we thought that that was going to be what was getting us home. Um, little did we know we had so much more in our journey um, to come. One being that right after he had G-tube surgery, he failed to be extubated. Um, and so they had, they found that that's when he had trach trachea problems, I should say, um, severe trachea malaysia, and he would need to have a trach. Um, and so the day before that he was scheduled for a bowel or the trach surgery, sorry. And he had a bowel perforation. And so Callan ended up on TPN after that bowel surgery. And so there was, there was just so much time that Callan was not able to be fed at all my breast milk. And through that, I just kept pumping and pumping, hoping that at some point, you know, he would be able to have it again. He was on TPN, so nutritional food through an IV or nutrition through an IV. Um, and eventually, eventually one mil an hour, wow. we were able to start feeding him again after weeks of pumping and him not getting any of my breast milk. Um, and eventually we were able to get him back up to full feeds mm -hmm. and taking in my breast milk. Um, but I, yeah, I just continued to pump and knowing that, you know, although he wasn't getting my breast milk through like tasting it, I just felt like it was what I could do. And he was growing really well, which for a heart kiddo, that was mm. huge. Um, and my breast milk was easy on his stomach and they never thought that any of the issues were my breast milk. So they're like, no mom, like if you want to, we want yeah. you to keep pumping. Sure. Yeah. Um, but actually kind of like you mentioned, they were very supportive in that of like, if you want to keep going, mom, like we encourage you to do so. Yeah. Yeah. So that was huge, but yeah, that's that's kind of a glimpse into why he got his G tube and 
it was a hard thing at first, but I think initially when we decided on the G-tube, we were hopeful that he would eventually get to try um, eating from a bottle again. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how long did he take breast milk then through his G-tube from you? Yeah. So I was, I pumped for 11 months and then I started to wean off. Wow. Um, That's, that's that's a long time. Yeah. (laughs) And I would have kept going, but I had, um, throughout the journey, like I said, I had an oversupply and I started the process when he was still in the NICU and I started donating while Callan was still in the NICU to the Colorado Milk Bank, um, which was a huge full circle, love for me because Callan had donor milk. And so Mm -hmm. I was thankful to be able to give back in that tangible way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was donating to Colorado breast milk bank and I was still saving at home and saving at the NICU. Um, and so I had a lot of saved milk and then he came home and we started to freeze my fresh and thaw my stuff that I had saved so that it didn't go bad. And he started gaining a lot of weight and they're like, what is going on? But because we were using my oldest stuff first, it was my more fattier stuff. Oh, right. <laughs> and so he just kept growing and growing. And at 11 months, we started talking with his GI and dietitian, and they're like, okay, we need a game plan for when he turns a year. They're like, we fully support him having breast milk through a year. They're like, absolutely. We agree with you. He's thriving off of it, but we need to highly consider him now being overweight, which caused a lot of problems developmentally. Like he wasn't able to roll over half the time because he was just so chunky with low muscle tone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was, it was causing some issues in a different way. So he actually needed to go on to a reduced calorie formula blend at a year old. Oh um, gosh, I love um, Alan. Me too. <laughs> I'm just picturing his roles too right now. And it's like, making me so happy. <laughs> he is definitely probably the youngest, one of the youngest kids to go on a diet. Um, <laughs> it's like slim fast for babies. <laughs> yeah, it literally was. It was like in one of those same bottles, you guys. And we through his G-tube and everything. Oh, but yeah, God. we did the slow transition from breast milk starting a week, probably the week he turned one, we started transitioning from breast milk to this other formula. And that was, um, that was not as hard as I thought it was going to be. What was harder was stopping pumping. Mm-hmm. Um, because every time my supply decreased, I got a little anxious and I'd like, okay, no, I'm going to pump again. I'm going to go back to the three hours. Yeah. And at the same time, I was still donating to the milk bank. Um, I donated a lot of milks to a heart mama that's in our community and my niece. And it was just a way it, it helped me it was very healing for me. Um, and I can't even explain why, but it was, it was just a very healing thing, but it was definitely hard to to wean off of that, um, pumping Mm -hmm. versus I was excited to get him off of breast milk in a weird way because I wanted him to thrive developmentally. And I knew that that, that would help. Yeah. Right. So how did you overcome the anxiety of, um, starting to wean? Oh gosh. Well, different medical things of concerns definitely triggered that the relief, I guess you could say. Um, when I realized, you know, we were going on an emergency room run and, you know, I could push my pumping hours back to like five hours versus three or something. Um, it, it kind of helped, you know, getting some of my time back. 
Um, but also I, you know, I don't even know how I did it. I, I don't know. I think I suppressed a lot, to be honest, because stuff set in way after mm-hmm. the time for me. Um, so I think it was a lot of like being in that, that fight or flight mode where I would just be like, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. And then, you know, emotions came later on with it. And I still had a, so much milk that I wasn't necessarily disappearing. Um, so the more that I would see that the supply wasn't really going anywhere in our freezer, it helped that too. But obviously that's a different story when that is not the case for you. Um, so I don't know if Ashley, if you want to touch on that or Martha. For weaning for me, it looked like it, it, it was necessary for my mental health. So I think I pumped for nine months. Um, and it was, it was harder to pump once we came home. So pumping in the NICU felt like kind of a part of the routine, but then when we came home and I was trying to bottle feed and pump, and then Ryan went back to work, so I didn't have him helping me clean the pump parts, it was just way too much for me. Mm -hmm. And we had built a pretty significant stash because I had been pumping for so long and for so much that I felt like, okay, I can... I can dig into the supply so that he gets breast milk until he's one. But I just, for my mental health, it was so necessary for me to quit. So I had a lot of anxiety weaning because I didn't want to get clogged ducks. So I, it took me a long time to wean. It wasn't like a couple day thing, which is probably normal. But for me, it was like a few weeks of just like extending even just 10 minutes one day and then 20 minutes the next day between those three hour, four hour chunks. And I remember the decision leading up to weaning was harder than weaning itself. Um, because I just, you know, there was also this element of grief of like, not knowing if I'd ever make breast milk for another baby as well. So I was just like, I don't, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop. But I think once I finally made that decision and I did wean it, I noticed a significant improvement in my mental health. And I knew that I had made that right decision. So I, for me, it was like, I had to be a more present parent because I was so stressed about pumping. And Martha, you were actually a key helper in me weaning because you had switched to formula with JJ. And so I was like, tell me everything, tell me how it went, tell me your tips. And so you were a huge help in me switching to formula and making that decision. And so I was really grateful that you had also walked through that because it really helped me make the right decision. Yeah. I'm so glad. I think I noticed too, I felt I, I just says being someone who loves you and seeing that for you, I, the choice was so great. I mean, you were about to head into a big season for you professionally and personally and stuff. So it was, um, I'm glad that you made the decision that was right for you. That's Mm -hmm. It, um, it's so different for everybody. And I think, um, you just have to do like a, a whole lot of soul searching and like yeah. advocating yeah. for yourself and talking to yourself and not a nutty way, maybe a little nutty way, <laughs> but just to say, no, you can do this or, or really feeling like, what do I want at this core moment? It's, it's really hard to, to sift out those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for, you know, like JP, there was, there was no reason. I I know they said I could keep pumping and I could donate the milk, but it just, it didn't make sense for me to 
um, I just needed to survive. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'm just going to cut it out. I didn't have the capacity to do it. And with JJ, I think it was super similar to what you said, Ashley, when you were in the NICU, there's designated space mm-hmm. and you have all these people there to care and support for you. So if you're pumping across the room and your baby desats, you know that there's nurses that are going to come in and, and help the baby. Right. Yeah. Um, or if the baby cries or something, but as soon as JJ came home, everything fell apart in terms of my mental health. You know, I had been, um, avoiding five years of, uh, grief and trauma, you know, PTSD and anxiety and stuff because of everything that happened with JP. And it just kind of like all fell apart. And a lot of our great mental health providers we've had on that podcast have talked about this Parijad and Natalie Ryder and it's because your body knows that you're in a safe place and the immediate harm is out of the way that you're just like, like you're a robot. That's like, do as long Right. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I just, I shut down like, and I, I, it was really bad. And to be super honest, it was as bad as like, I couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, or I couldn't stand up to get in the shower. Like, you know, I had to have people help me get into the shower. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what mental health looks like sometimes. That's what mental illness looks like. And for me, there was a very distinct correlation then because my anxiety levels were off the roof. And I also stopped eating. I lost like 20 pounds in two weeks. Um, I, my supply virtually went away. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was an, it was a necessity and it was just a natural thing that happened as well. And I pumped maybe a couple times a day for about a month after that. But finally, I, when I got with a great provider who told me that, um, you know, the continuance of like the weaning and not weaning kind of living in that space could contribute to some additional like hormone imbalances, which wouldn't be great for my mental health. She was like, if you can do it safely, you know, I consulted with my OB and we figured out a good plan. Um, I, I came off of it and I, you know, cause that, that hormonal change is huge too. Um, mm-hmm. not about six weeks after you deliver is when there's a major hormonal shift in your body. And that's when I was also having the hormonal shift of coming off of, um, breastfeeding too. So mm-hmm. wow. um, I just think that it's just what had to happen. And mm-hmm. the, I think all of it was tied together in, in trauma and, um, for me and, being able to just hang up my bottle parts, my phalanges <laughs> and, and to not, and to not have to have that take up mind space for me was huge because you're right. So much of newborn life is scheduling. So, you know, you're, what is it like the feed, play, sleep thing, you know, where you're supposed to feed with that, feed them, keep them awake a little bit and then have them with some sleep a little bit, but it just didn't happen that way. And like, how are you supposed to feed them, then play with them, then pump? And then all of a sudden they're sleeping, but then they wake up 20 minutes again and they have to eat. It's just like, it's, it's just too hard. So yeah, yeah, I, I think I did what was best for mental health and I'm retroactively really proud of that because, yes. and if, and if anyone else yeah. sees that too, I mean, I think, and it comes at different times, it comes at 11 months of pumping or it comes at six weeks of pumping and, mm-hmm. and there's no shame in either. Absolutely. Yeah. I think too, we were given like the go ahead when because in the NICU, he had to switch to Elicare for a season because his reflux was so bad. So then woot, woot, Elicare. <laughs> so when he was able to transfer back to breast milk and then once he was discharged, 
you know, I met with a few lactation consultants about switching to breast and teaching him how to breastfeed, but the amount of time that it would have taken both Silas and I to navigate that for me, I just couldn't commit to it. I was like, I respect moms who do that. Like, I know there are some Nikki moms who are able to switch to breast and I'm like, you go girl. I'm so proud of you. But for my Mm -hmm. mental health, I just, I wasn't in a mental space to be able to learn that skill with Silas and be a a good, healthy parent. So we decided to stick to pumping and bottle feeding and I'm with you, Martha. I'm proud of that decision as well. Yeah. One awesome thing about pumping and bottle feeding from your breast milk that I really love is that it gives the opportunity of bonding with other people that aren't mom. Yeah. Um, Uh And also it gives, it gave me relief in the middle of the night because my husband and I could switch off giving bottles and sleep was really integral for me to heal my body and my mind. So it was a lifesaver. It was a lifesaver for me to do that. And my husband loved giving bottles and we had to do like, we had to do pacing when JJ came home because she actually came home before her due date, about five weeks before her due date. So she was still very little and I mean, I'm glad they sent her home, but also she had five weeks where she was meant to be in utero still. So we had to pace her bottle feeding and make sure she was still breathing. And so she did, she would have moments where she stopped breathing for periods of time when we were holding her. And so then we were like, ha 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 ha. So not having to do that every time was huge. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So I wonder, you know, in closing here, um, what would be final words of encouragement that you have for moms who are in the pumping or feeding journey? Um, stay off of Amazon while you're pumping. <laughs> it will save so much stress for you and your husband or your significant other partner. <laughs> um, just buy Netflix shows instead. Um, no, honestly, just ultimately remember that fed is best. Um, that is something that I quickly learned after having so many different encounters with different mamas and their journeys. Um, as I was pumping, some were breastfeeding, some were needing to just for their own mental health switch to formula. Just remember that um, you are doing the absolute best for that baby with um, what you have and the circumstances that were given. And um, we are just so proud and supportive of each and every one of you, whatever decision you make. Mm-hmm. Yes. Preach girlfriend. Yes. I was like, I don't know if I can add anything to that. I know. I was going to say the same thing. Um, I think my encouragement would be, uh, well, first of all, if we, if I, if we haven't made it clear yet, pumping is breastfeeding. Amen. If you've ever felt like second best or not a part of the breastfeeding club, I just want to assure you that you very much are, and you don't want to be in those crazy girl clubs. Anyways, you want to be in our club cause it's more fun. So yes, sisterhood. <laughs> yeah. Being the sisterhood with us, we're, we're more fun, but, um, pumping is breastfeeding and it's honestly the, the rigmarole of pumping is a lot mentally and physically. And if you know that you're going to be a more present, more healthy, more steady parent and woman, not pumping, then that's worth it. Um, formula is actually, it's not so bad. Their poops are very different. And those smells mm-hmm. are like <laughs> different, unreal. The first formula poop, I was like, holy cow. 
<laughs> yeah, you're like, what's wrong? <laughs> right. What was that? Um, but you know, the transition was, was really, really, really good for me. And so just if your mental health is suffering because of pumping, um, it's okay to stop. It really, it really is okay to stop. You're still a really, really good mom. Yeah. And all I'd add to that is just be super honest and compassionate with yourself. You know, there's already too many stressors and too many hard things going on in your life right now for you, um, to be a self-critic, you know, just like my, my sisters here say, you just meet yourself where you're at and say, it's okay. Um, this is where I'm at today and it's okay. And, you know, write those things down, save them to somebody, you know, whatever, wherever you're at in feeling that'll, that'll help you figure out what's the right thing for you to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mamas, thank you again for tuning in. We've missed chatting with you. We love all of you. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of this community of women who truly want the best for each other. And to any mamas listening that are in the midst of that pumping breastfeeding journey, just know that we're so proud of you. We see you and we see how hard you work. And for the mamas who are bottle feeding and who transition to formula or who have kiddos with G-tubes or other other medical um, reasons for feeding or different reasons for feeding. We just want to say that we're so proud of you as well. We're so proud of you for making the best decisions that you can for your family. So we hope that this episode encouraged you today, was fun for you, and we can't wait to connect with you guys next time. So give those boobs of yours a squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, we love you guys. We'll chat with you next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.